guys and welcome to industrial automation it doesn't have to this is brandon ellis i'm here with miss beth elliott say hello hi guys how you doing today we're going to be talking about uh, an, uh the topic today is industrial iot um we'll get into that in a second but uh how you been beth i've been okay it's uh starting to feel a little like fall outside that's right it's uh um i noticed in september we Finally had a fall-like morning. It's been very warm in eastern chilly. Tennessee. <laughs> it's chilly yeah, so for me. So it was nice, and so we we look forward to especially being close to the Great Smoky Mountains, uh, celebrating death of the leaves, uh, which is what fall brings, but some of the most beautiful colors uh, in God's green earth. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, Where's your favorite place to go in the Smokies, Brandon? You know. There's a lot of favorite places in the Smokies. Um, I'll tell you one of the coolest places to go, and it's an easy hike. If you ever come down here, go to Clingman's Dome, and it's a quick drive up. And, and if it's if it's in the winter, it might be snow-covered, and this road might even be closed. But actually, if you can get to Newfound Gap, you can walk it, because it's not a very long road to walk. And then the trail up there is paved. I mean, it's an easy... It's. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a hiking trail, but once you're up there, it's the highest point in the Smokies. And sometimes, sometimes if the fog and the smoke, as we call it, it's the fog over the mountains is down low, you actually are looking over top of it from up there. And it just looks amazing. Um, you can it's see the peaks. top of the world, huh? <laughs> yeah, you can see the peaks coming up. And especially if the sun's up up there, it's just beautiful. And uh, sunrises up there if you can get up early enough. It's really a early for me, but yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that for <laughs> pictures. <Yeah. laughs> so we're excited about that, and I'm excited about the fall coming, and so I'm more excited about our topic today. So again, this podcast, and this is our number two podcast, so we're getting better every day. Um, if you got to hear our, our uh, first podcast, uh, we were talking about our pre-engineered systems. If you haven't heard that, it has to do with our pre-engineered robot cells and servo actuators and uh, a little bit about the company and what we do and just really getting into not just it's not a sales type thing certainly we don't want that to be uh, the goal but it has to do with our robot systems our pre-engineered systems and how those things are used when you would use a certain type of robot and when you wouldn't and so it's a pretty interesting thing we've gotten some good feedback on on that podcast so thank you to those of you who have listened to it and liked it and shared it um, uh, we appreciate that. And so today's topic, industrial IoT, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Uh, it is an overwhelming subject. Uh, we've been doing IoT now since me personally before 2014. But as a company, uh, we entered that industry when we invented a product called our Data Commander. And we'll touch on that a little bit, I'm sure, as we discuss. But some of the terms that I wanted to cover that I feel like that... Uh, um, I've heard uh, a lot of, or been asked a lot. Um, and when I say ask a lot, just so you know, uh, I'm not just the owner of Elotech, but uh, uh, also the developer of our Data Commander product. Um, but I have had the opportunity and the privilege uh, over the last, gosh, six years uh, to be a part of um, 
I know you're aware of this too because you were part of some of this too. The panels and oh. the 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 discussions and the talks and so a lot of different shows. So let's see where we we've been to Anaheim, we've been to New York City a couple of times, Chicago, Chicago, and and various places. And so in fact, we were supposed to be in New Orleans. We were, yeah, uh, with CSIA and and COVID. Uh, took that took that off our schedule so um maybe next year maybe maybe next year we'll get an opportunity to do that but during those discussions i try to have a lot of discussions with the people in the audience and we like to have a lot of q a and so these these terms um as beth and i were discussing this uh, we came up with these terms as some of the the most common terms that people ask me you know if they're being honest what the heck does that mean right and Absolutely, you know yeah. The, the <laughs> no, I, it, well, ready. and they're and they can change from depending on who you can talk to as well. Well, if you're talking to a marketer, uh, industrial <laughs> IoT means one thing, as <laughs> versus you in the real world. <laughs> what does that you know? <laughs> what does it mean to you? That's right. And and again, Beth is our is our marketing coordinator, so she heads up our marketing department. Does a fantastic job with that. Um, and so I have to be careful when I refer to marketing <laughs> because she is 100% a fantastic uh, marketing person and and I am 100% not. Uh so um those terms. So let's jump to them. So IoT, you already mentioned IoT and industry 4.0 industrial IoT. That's one and we I kind of lump those together because they're kind of used interchangeably. Industry 4.0 is talking about um, you know the uh the the subset of the industry that we're in started with industrial revolution. So these are the, this is the fourth, I guess is what they say, the fourth revolution. Uh, so, um, there was a 1.0 and a 2.0 and a 3.0. And now we're at 4.0. And so 3.0 actually was when machines started being automate, uh, sorry, automated. Uh, I think 2.0 was classified as the steam engine and we had, had steam, as a as a source back then um but but 3.0 i believe and and if i'm getting this wrong i apologize feel free to correct me in the comments but i think this is right i used to talk about this a lot but it's been a couple of days uh so 3.0 was when we started automating so the plc revolution and things of that nature and 4.0 leads us to our next term i guess by today's standards which is digitization uh and there's two terms there actually digitization and digitalization. And so those are both equally difficult to say. Um, but they both are related, but they're different. So we're going to kind of touch on those as well. A lot of times folks ask, what's the difference and why should I care? Uh, MES, that's a, that's a acronym. Manufacturing Execution System. That's right. Yes. So Manufacturing Execution System is actually a leg on the ERP system, which stands for you remember oh, that one? Enterprise Resource Planning. Yeah. So the I enterprise... didn't know I was going to be quizzed today. Yeah, so... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't tell you. But uh, the ERP system is um, is what runs the entire, usually the entire plant, every department, accounting, shipping, logistics, raw materials, purchasing, ordering, all that kind of stuff. Um, and manufacturing is one of those departments. And it's always been the redhead stepchild. So when we're talking about the enterprise side, we're talking about the ERP system, enterprise, recess, resource planning software. Um, so then we go on to cloud, 
what's the cloud? Cloud servers, cloud data servers. So cloud, it's in the cloud, all this kind of stuff. But then also a term hosted servers. And so a lot of times folks have asked me the difference between those two. And then finally, data mining. What's data mining? Um, so those are the kind of things that I kind of wanted us to go through each of these, what they mean, how they relate, and that kind of thing. So what does industry 4.0, industrial IoT, how does that relate to an effective manufacturing system? Well, you kind of touched on a little bit, but. Industrial IoT, IoT stands for Internet of Things. Now, Internet of Things is a much larger uh reference than manufacturing. So we, we stick the extra I at the beginning, IIoT, for industrial Internet of Things. Because a thing, if you're just talking about you know, regular, run-of-the-mill IoT, are things like smartphones and wearables and um, smartwatches and, gosh, nowadays cars. Uh, there's a car commercial, and, and they say, uh, yeah, I think it's a Buick. You know, well, this is not a Buick. And he's like, no, 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 it's not a Buick. It's an Alexa. <laughs> because cars are things now. And so any of these things that have connectivity is what we call a, you know, a thing. And they're all connected by the Internet. And so that's what Internet of Things means. Now, we take that and industrialize that to manufacturing and manufacturing companies and it becomes the industrial internet of things and so an example of a thing in industrial world could be plcs and and uh, which programmable logic controllers for machines and things of that nature but also uh, pcs who are running software i mean all these things that are inside the plant that need to talk to each other or share data between each other and of course industry 4.0 is just the fourth revolution which is uh that type of digitization. Oh, speaking of, what is the difference between digitalization and digitization? All right, so if I don't get tongue twisted, digitalization, digitalization is typically, um, that's where we, we take the digital technologies or data. I'll just refer to it as data. So when you get the data and you use it uh, to... To analyze, you analyze it to make better, hopefully, hopefully better decisions when it comes to managing your business. That's really the, the primary thing. Is digitalization is is I think Google defines it as as using digital type technologies to change a business model and and then provide like new revenue and value type producing opportunities. So. I think it's basically the the process of using data to move toward a digital-based business. Now, that doesn't mean a web store. That means a business where we are looking at actual data to determine what our next move is. Are we going to, where are we going to invest our capital? Where's our capital projects going to be? What kind of thing do we need to add on to the plant? If so, what kind of thing we're going to be doing? Those kind of, those kind of big ticket decisions hopefully can be made in a more educated fashion with data, which again, the digitalization of that data is to put it into a form where you can use it. Digitization is the act of just getting the data to begin with. So it's, it's harvesting the data. It's, 
actually converting it. You know, back when I years ago, when I was in college, we had D to A converters. That's a digital to analog converter. And then we had A to D converters, an analog to digital converter. And this is kind of the A to D, except not everything's analog nowadays. But that really is the concept of taking the real world measurements of whatever machine processes, uh, product measurements, whatever, this data that's important to your process, if you're a plant manager, production manager, quality manager, whatever, and and, and digitizing it, bringing it into the data world so that it can be, uh, I don't know the term there, digitalized. Basically, it can be uh, analyzed and, and turned into something that someone can use to make a better decision, more educated decision, that directly impacts their business. So can you give us some examples of what this looks like in practice? So for, in other words, if I were a manufacturing plant manager trying to make sense of the terminology, what would be a typical example of how this is implemented in today's standards, by today's standards? Well, even though, even though marketing folks, sorry, Beth, even though, <laughs> even though marketers and salespeople and, and big companies are in the last, you know, even in the last four years, three or four years, uh, really two to three years, probably are making this sound new. The truth is we've actually been, we've actually been collecting data and doing this kind of stuff, this digitization, uh, and even digitalization on the OT side forever. OT. OT. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. You're throwing too many acronyms yeah. around. Yeah. So, so wait, can you explain what OT is? Well, after I said it, I noticed she looked at me funny, and so I realized what I did. Sorry. OT. So we talked about, I said earlier, I made a reference that we talked about ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, the enterprise side of things. We refer to that as the IT side, information technology. A lot of people are probably familiar with IT. It's it's up where this data servers, database servers, and the big server rooms and all that kind of stuff is typically. Um, unless it's in the cloud. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. OT stands for operational technology. And you don't hear that as much. Uh, but operational technology is actually how we define the plant floor, the machine side portion of the industrial IoT topology. In fact, um, let, let me review that before I go into the example, if that's all right. Um, the basic goal of most any IoT implementation is to transfer or move data, usually bidirectionally. Bidirectionally. Bidirectionally, both directions. Okay. So not just between OT, which is the plant floor, to IT, but sometimes IT to OT. Now, usually, from our experience, everybody wants to start with OT to IT. In other words, I want to get my digitization needs to start with the machines. I want to digitize digitize what they're doing. I want to harvest that data out of the machines. And so machines, if you think machines, think operations, that's your, that's where your operations are. That's operational technology OT. So getting it from OT to IT is one direction. And then after what we've seen is a lot of our customers, uh, they get that going well. And then their wheels are turning and they're like, wait a second. Okay. What if we can take it the other direction? What kind of benefits do we have there? And so that's the IT to OT direction. But nevertheless, IOT, generally speaking, is truly defined as a bidirectional movement of data between machines on the manufacturing floor and the enterprise or IT uh, data servers. Uh, again, they could be located locally, which 
that's one of the terms we talked about, hosted. That's correct, yep. So hosted and versus cloud-based. Uh, hosted means usually that it's it's locally within the plant or the manufacturing facility. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's not to say we have a lot of customers that I've come into contact with that have their main data server at one of their at their headquarters, for example, which, I don't know, maybe in Germany or something, and the plant being lower Alabama. Uh, but they have the infrastructure or their intranet set up so that it's as if that server is set in Alabama. And that's still considered locally hosted. Interesting. It means you own it. Okay. You control it, and it's yours. Not that cloud-based isn't, but you don't manage. The, the advantage of cloud-based is somebody else is managing the server. The perceived disadvantage, and I say perceived because I'm not saying I agree or disagree with this, but the perceived concerns about the cloud is where is the cloud? Yeah. Who owns the cloud? Who else is there that I can't see? Who else can see my data and who else can get into my data? And also who's responsible for the security of that data? And, and there was a time that you would say if it's Amazon or Google or Microsoft or any of those folks, it's, it's going to be safe because that they're big companies and that's what they do. But we've all read a lot of stories over the last few years of cloud-based systems and that data you know being hacked in. Even local services, I mean local servers, hosted servers can be hacked. But there are some that feel like that a cloud-based system is scarier. Yeah. And... So in our industry, uh, what we found is different segments, according to the marketing segment. Uh, a lot of people ask me, what should I do, Brandon? What should we do? Hosted or cloud-based? Are you for cloud-based or against cloud-based? <laughs> what do you tell them? Well, I basically say, well, how important is your data? If I'm working for your company, I don't want my social security numbers and all my personal information and everything on a cloud. I just would prefer it not be. Yeah. But I also don't want it on a server that's hosted but not secure. Uh, so that's pretty that's pretty uh, pretty important stuff. But if I'm if I'm grabbing data that really means nothing to anybody, and people wouldn't know how to what to do with it, and if they figured it out, it wouldn't be anything to it. It's not intellectual properties or trade secrets or the Coca Cola recipe or Colonel Sanders recipe or something like that. Then you know it really comes down to your IT group and how they feel about it okay. if they're okay with it. Um, it, it's about a risk analysis. Okay. And, okay. and now we're kind of starting to get into that cybersecurity stuff. We talk a bit about that. Uh, we will during the podcast for the food engineering cybersecurity portion. But to get back on, on topic, um, so we refer to OT as the operational side, the machine side. Uh, and when I say we've been doing this for decades, what I'm talking about is 99.9% of most manufacturing equipment, even today, in 2020, are 99.9%, and this is my math, this is my speculation, so <laughs> maybe I'm off a bit, but I bet I'm not far off. Most of your manufacturing equipment is run or controlled, ran, not run, is ran, uh, controlled by what we call Programmable Logic Controller, or PLC. Um, and the PLC is more than capable of of gathering data and generating data and things of that nature. In fact, that's what I'm saying, that PLCs were invented you know where they're invented? I've said this before. Oh, I know you have. Uh, I can't remember. Not late 1970s. Oh, goodness A guy named goodness. Dick Morley. I actually had the opportunity to meet him. He invented the Modicom PLC, 
uh, for a company called Modicon, which ultimately was bought by Schneider. Uh, and still, the Modicon PLCs exist today. Uh, and uh, he w- he invented a lot of stuff. Modbus and wow. Modbus TCP and something called Modbus Plus, which was the first token ring communications. Kind of cool stuff that he did. And I got a chance to meet him uh, years and years ago. And, uh, and he was just as humble. Had no idea <laughs> that he had... I mean, honestly, really? industry 3.0. It's because of him. It's because of him, wow. actually. And, and he's just, you know, he's like, well, you know, yeah, I got a burger, you know, for lunch today. And it was his equally, he just, he was so humble. And, and so he was a really interesting person to meet. Um, and it was, again, just a brief meeting, but it was an opportunity and, and, a, and a privilege. Uh, but it was invented in the late 70s. And so it's been around for a while. So I've used them before. And um, and we have been grabbing data, but usually that data, and even today, that data is is displayed usually on what we call an HMI or human machine interface. Usually, it's a touch screen or something on the machine. In fact, a lot of companies will use this um, to gather data. That's what they're filling their tick sheets out on, or they're writing it down and, and things of that nature. In fact, when people come to me and say, how do we begin? Where should we start? I usually will say, go to your line, look at your machines on the HMIs that are connected to the PLCs. And we're assuming that they're PLC-based machines, of course. And and just start saying, I'd like to know this number and this number and this number and make a list and start there. Well, that seems pretty straightforward. It is straightforward. And otherwise... Especially if you if you're if you're comparing yourself to somebody that's been doing it for a long time, a lot of years, it it's it's not that it takes that many years to get to a really high level. It's it's that the beginning to the first year is probably more of an exponential curve. So it's really steep, and then it levels off, and you kind of start coming in. Okay. And and the reason is is because when you start getting data out of your machines, where you can actively get it easily and and you know get it you you now can can start imagining new things so really the trick has always been that transfer getting the data it seems straightforward but it's not is it i mean it's getting the data seems like oh yeah just go to the machine and you know you can write it down and so make an enter it in and that yeah kind of seemed- stuff. but you know, this this kind of brings me... I'm going to rant a little bit. Uh, you go for it. Yeah, so <laughs> when you host the podcast, you can rant. Um, so I'm going to get on a little bit of a rant here because this really does frustrate me because of a lot of folks that have come and called us and talked to us. And and and, and honestly, I feel like they've been sold a bill of goods but because of that. Of those two terms we talked about, digitalization versus digitization. Remember, again, the, the trick... In my opinion, the trick is getting the data. And a lot of companies come in and say, oh, here, you can do this. We're going to give you all this stuff. And and they're talking about digitalization. What I call arts and crafts. They're talking about the gauges, the dashboards, the reports. But but everybody zings with, everybody wants speedometer, uh, you know, gauges and really cool gauges and, and, and moving charts and, and, and those kind of things that you can see across the plan or see on any handheld device or tablet or whatever. Well, it makes you look good too. Yeah, yeah. It, well, they do look good. They look fantastic. And and it's not that these companies can't do that effectively. 
my rant is they totally they totally bypass the need for data transfer. And they tell you, and a lot, I've had so many customers that have come to us and was like, look, here we are. We just went through this. We blew our entire budget on this IoT system. And now here we've got some pretty things, but none of this stuff works or there's no data for it to do. It doesn't do anything or the data is not accurate. And so um, they're stuck. I mean, here here they go. And so they call us and, and they're like, you know, what do we do? What do you do? And 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 we what we do is we help them come in there and get the thing working. And 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 so we have to solve some. A lot of times, there's a lot of pitfalls that we have to solve. So, what are the some of the pitfalls? Well, again, I hate to <laughs> <laughs> go off on a rant here. <laughs> well, I, I, and I also hate to repeat myself, but connectivity. That is the number one thing. So many people come in and say, oh, look at this. We can do this. We can do this. We can give you these dashboards with these KPIs, key performance indicators. Thank you. Um, and, and, and we can show overall equipment effectiveness, OA, I'm sorry, OEE or overall uh, availability, which is OA and all these, um, really process based key performance indicators. There are various types of KPIs. And, and we can do that in graphs and gauges and all this kind of thing that's really awesome. And honestly, our product does that too. Because you have to have that. You have to have the digitalization. But what we, what we don't skip past, and everybody else does, and, and it frustrates me, not because we don't get to skip past it, but because there's some really good companies out there with some even better folks that are running them and managing them, and they have gotten bitten by a sales or marketing being sold a bill of goods. And that's my rant. So how, how that's a good rant. So let's, uh, how do you do it when others tend to, to, when they struggle with this? How do you go about making, the, making it work? Well, again, uh, it's connectivity. And I don't, I don't want to be salesy. But I am proud of what we've got because I think we're one of the only ones that solve the problem from soup to nuts. Now, we're not an ERP system, but neither are they. The idea is these are production-based or MES-based systems to be able to give management the data and the insights and the analytics that it needs to make the decisions, make the better decisions when it comes to their business decisions. And so... We've, we've been dealing with, I've been dealing with MES systems since, again, well before 2014. Um, and honestly, and a lot of, a lot of things come down to the old school method. And the old school method, I call it the old, old school method, is, is to utilize a, a connectivity requires communications. It's impossible to get data if you're not communicating with whatever it is, uh, unless it's manually entered. The goal here, of course, is connectivity, which means we want to do it automatically. Um, and we'll, we can, I can get into that in a minute, but we use uh, OPC. Now, OPC is still used commonly today. We don't use OPC. We don't. Okay, okay. But I'm saying back in the old school days, before, oh, okay. before oh, 2014, okay, okay. Uh, 
we we all all of us me we had to use all we had okay. was OPC and OPC was invented in the eighties. Oh wow! And and it it has been rebranded a couple of times and and I, I chuckle at that, but I don't remember some of the names I've heard. But what it originally stood for was OLE, which is another acronym. OLE for process control, and OLE stood for object linking and embedding, and that was invented by Microsoft. Uh, actually to, I think to get their printers to work and things back, back in the eighties, uh, early eighties and late eighties, we, we, the processed industrial manufacturing world said we can use somebody, I don't know who it was. Somebody said we can use the OLE principles for process control and OPC was born. And what it, what it basically did in, in, in layman's terms is it gives a, a generic communication. So a common language among all platforms. Because the other thing back then was PLCs were 100% proprietary. Their software could talk to the PLC, but nobody else could talk to the PLC. And there was not all these libraries, communication libraries, and things of that nature. It was all closed communication. And so they, they did that, I think... Some say on purpose, but I think it was necessity then. That's just how it was designed. Uh, was most PLCs, their software had their software. Their software would talk to their PLC. Their PLC would talk to the software, but that's it. It wouldn't talk to other PLCs or anything. It's its own little island. And so OPC allowed, and, and again, the manufacturers had to also, and even today, the manufacturers have to support OPC communications, but it, it really is a generic language. It's not a native language. Okay. In fact, we used to, um, more of late, refer folks. I've heard folks refer to OPC as as "Oh, please connect," uh, because it wasn't easy to get connected then, and it's still not easy to connect now. And yes, absolutely, our data commander product does not, and our IOTA product does not use uh, OPC. We we primarily communicate um, in a in a native way, but before we go down that trail any further. Um, there's one thing I, I want to bring up as far as connectivity. Um, OPC, we're talking about OPC. OPC has to reside usually on a P, in a PC-based environment, usually in a Windows-based environment. So I'm sitting here knocking on OPC, um, and, and, and I'm not knocking on it I kind of am, but I'm not really knocking on it because OPC is the problem. But OPC has to run in a in a PC environment. Now, that might be changing now with Linux-based systems and stuff like that, but still, they're becoming uh, more commonplace with desktop environments, and they're, we're seeing their own vulnerabilities come out of that uh, because they're trying to emulate Windows and be something to everyone. Uh, but let's focus in on the PC-based Windows environment couple things happen as soon as you introduce a PC. First of all, a PC, we talked about OT, was PLCs and machines, and that could be robots and CNCs and all that kind of stuff. That's on the floor. And we're seeing more PCs on the floor, but but used to be we didn't see as many. The problem is, as soon as you uh, introduce a PC to a system, to a network, it now becomes an IT asset. They, IT, the IT department, must protect it. That's their job. And back in the day, that was the singular issue. Even up to, leading up to 
2014, it was the single most frustrating thing because IT has to protect this asset. And they have to protect it from the things we kind of talked about, the cybersecurity type attacks from, uh, what do we have, malware, we have viruses. Now the big ransomware. thing, <laughs> ransomware, you're seeing that on Twitter like crazy right now. And, and of course, a lot of that's because of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the things that come with that. But their job and their goals are to protect the network from those types of things. Production's job and goals is to keep production running, get, keep parts making the truck and getting out the door. Typically, those two departments don't align with those goals. Yeah, they have different goals, huh? And it creates a, an intense environment. And so, honestly, in 2014, I got tired of it because I was in the in the, we were in the mix. We were in the mix of that, and 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 I, honestly, I had situations where with the OPC stuff. Uh, because of this, uh, we would put a system in place, we would set it up, we would validate it, and production would say, hey, it's great. Uh, even IT would say, yep, we see the data coming up into to, to the upstairs enterprise system. And in my mind, check the box, that system's done, and we move on to the next job. And about three to four weeks later, I get a call from the customer and it says, it's not working anymore. And we come down, and what we find and, and I'm not knocking on IT. It's their job. But a Windows update was pushed down or a virus update or a firewall got installed or something that wiped out the OPC communications layer. Because, honestly, IT doesn't know, nor because of their goals, do they care necessarily what OPC is. And so their job is to protect that system and all the other connected systems from anything that could attack or be derived from that IT asset, which is a PC. And so it was the most frustrating thing ever. And I'm sure if you're listening to this right now and you've been in manufacturing, you're shaking, your, you're nodding your head in agreement with me. You've experienced this, whether you're on the IT side or on the OT side, you have experienced this where it was working and suddenly it's not. We had one customer. I was there during the visit. Got there that morning. Uh, we had actually, it was a two-day visit. We had met that afternoon, went to dinner that night, came back the next morning, ready for, you know, just a half-day worth of stuff. We're going to finish with lunch. Everybody was all happy. And we walk in, we sit down, and we're just chit-chatting. And suddenly, somebody comes in, whispers in the ear of the main, of one of the main production managers, and, and says, this is a couple of years ago, IT... Corporate IT pushed down Windows 10 last night. <laughs> and so without the, they didn't get the memo or no something. Notice. And all the Windows, I don't know if they're XP or 7, but all those machines, hopefully there weren't 8, but all those machines were now 10, effective immediately this morning when you get here. And, and half the plant shut down because they were, had a lot of PCs on the, on the floor. And, and it went from, very calm and cool to well, we didn't get it to lunch. <laughs> um, I, when we realized what was going on, some people left. We tried to have more meetings. I realized this just wasn't a good time. And so we just said, you know what? You all deal with this because honestly, it's not, I was dying for them is it comes down to that kind of stuff. So those are the things that drove me in 2014 to find a better plan. Uh, and, and, so what did you find, Brandon? 
Honestly, nothing. Oh, really? <laughs> there was nothing out there that everything... That was just six years ago. I know. Everything we were doing then was OPC. And in fact, they're still using OPC today. A lot of a lot of these systems are OPC-based. Now, there's a few that are coming out with, uh, with what we call a native driver. But OPC-based drivers... They're they're still in use, but but there was that that was all that that was the normal. It, it, it's like trying to find a uh, if if you decide I need a car that runs on jelly, then you know <laughs> you're not going to find one out there right now. Uh, you're going to have to create it, and so um, we didn't find anything. And but we needed something. I needed something. My customers needed something, and and I needed something because I was so frustrated, and support was killing us, and it was killing our customers, and they just needed something that was going to. Really, not not run, and a lot of manufacturers nowadays are trying to bypass IT. Uh-oh. That's a mistake, and they're doing it. And hey, uh, you know it's your plant, but stay tuned for the cybersecurity uh, side of this or the podcast that's coming up. Uh, but honestly. You know, they say, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. I don't know, but it's the mother of the data commander, which was the appliance that we cre- I created back in 2014. That is the whole reason is because of this OPC, IT, OT, philosophical problem that wow. we're dealing with. Wow. And the data commander, it won the hardware and software innovation of the year. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. We talked about that briefly in the last podcast. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, so how does it solve the issues of connectivity in the PC protection? Well, the, the big difference we talked about, you know, again, it's not so much that OPC is the problem, but the PC environment that it has to fall in. It, any IT person will tell you Windows has its set of vulnerabilities. And again, as I pointed out earlier, it's it's largely because Windows is something to everybody. The data commander, which is now its big brother, is called the IOTA, is built as what we call an MES, uh, an, an MES database or enterprise appliance. An appliance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you mean like a toaster or something like that? Yeah, those are appliances. So like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, honestly, Beth, that's right on. You have a toaster. I have a toaster. Yeah. What does it do? Toasts. Will it <laughs> or make burns coffee? It. <laughs> yeah. Will it make coffee for you? Will it wash your dishes? Will it tie into the security? Probably nowadays it will, but to tie into the security system of your home. I mean, it is a toaster. That's all it's going to be. The, it, it was designed. It was optimized. It was hopefully not burning the toast. So it's designed to, to do a great job and toast your piece of bread basically the same every single time time to your exact specifications, right? So the data commander is not a PC-based uh, deal. So that's why we call it appliance. It's an embedded-based system, but it's on a proprietary uh, platform. And so it's a little different, Um than Windows, so we don't have the vulnerabilities and things of that nature. Uh, so it doesn't require the PC. Uh, that's really what it comes down to, is that it's designed specifically to do one job, and that's it. Connect IT and OT and transfer data directly and natively without the need for this generic communications. Natively. I know you said that term earlier, but... Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so, so versus OPC, which we talked about being a generic kind of deal, um, we don't do OPC. We actually have, um, we support the connectivity 
to the controllers, the various controllers devices. So that would be on the OT side. Um, we connect to the databases and the ERP systems uh, on the enterprise side. But what I'm talking about is on the OT side because that's where that's where the secret sauce is. That's where the hand wave is that so many people uh, sell you a bill of goods past is is that connectivity that I've really focused on of getting the data out of those machines. And and we communicate to the PLCs using their native drivers. Now, now let me say what that is. So a driver is kind of a communications protocol. I said earlier that back in the day, PLCs were proprietary, highly proprietary. That has changed. Okay. And that's the reason why, I, I, I don't know why, people still, just having been through the struggles of OPC, um, it really is, oh, please connect it sometime. And then, you know, the environment that it's got to go in and all those kind of things. With our device, we're talking directly. So that's how we solve that. The other, the other thing is, it's a generic language, OPC. So OPC is generic. And generic languages don't always mean that you've got a word for every native word of that controller. Okay. As far as language, I'm okay. saying words and language. And so we, in, we, I interpret that into uh, data memory areas and things of that nature inside of the PLC. If we're talking natively, Chances are we can get to almost any memory area where the data may be. May be. Oh, okay. But if we're talking generically, as I said earlier, the manufacturer of that device, that PLC or robot or whatever, um, has to allocate and, and, and create an OPC uh, communications capability. So they'll say, they, a lot of them will say, these memory areas are available on OPC, but not all of them. Oh, so you could be missing data, huh? Well, you may have to hire somebody like Elitech to come in and do a lot of custom programming in the PLC to start moving things over and that kind of stuff to get it into these areas. With our Data Commander and IOTA product, the native drivers usually let us get to all those, more of those areas, if not all. And so, again, you, you have to have connectivity. Now, the other thing we do, uh, again, I don't want to be salesy, but we are and have been referred to as the, uh, I think I'm allowed to say this on a podcast, iPhone, which we do not own the trademark to. Um, uh, we're kind of the iPhone of the MES industry with our with our appliance uh, because it that attributes to the fact that iPhones are generally very simple to use. Most okay. anybody can use an, an iPhone. And our point-and-click type type. Um, interface of pointing and clicking data over. Now, data mashups can be a little bit more involved. A mashup is where I, I'm not just taking data from this PLC and moving it into this database, but maybe taking a couple of different pieces of data and doing something to it, and then whatever form that takes, that's what we're going to send up to the database. Or we do mashups a lot when we're getting data from the IT side and moving down into the PLC. Um, but nevertheless, that's that point and click actually makes it very easy to use as well. And that was the other thing that we wanted. Do you remember that video that you did back in 2014? I wasn't with Elitech back then, but I, I did remember watching that video. It, it was, what was it again? It's it, Yeah, it was called Two Minutes to Data, and it's still on the website. So you've seen it. It, it is. It's on the Data Commander. It's on the datacommander.com website. That's right. It's not on Elitech's yet. You know, ah, that was a fun video to make. Um 
Okay, so on this video, it, it was called Two Minutes to Data. The, the challenge that I had was if, if the data commander, and of course, again, today we call it the IOTA. It's grown into that. But the data commander, if, if it's so easy to use and it's truly point and click, how fast can you move data? And, and so the challenge was inserting data. Again, take, going from OT to IT, going what we call up the stream, um, to the database server. And so I, I actually set up... I did that at three o'clock in the morning. I'd just gotten back from a trip somewhere and, and the marketing people at the time that was again before you needed it. And so, um, I'd promised it and I got in late. I don't know why, but anyway, I was, it was, I had all the stuff with me. Uh, it was in my kitchen <laughs> on the kitchen table at three o'clock in the morning. And I did that video and, and did it really in one take. Um, uh, actually, I think it took me two takes because I forgot to start the screen recording or something. But anyway, um, ended up doing it. I think it's a minute and 52 seconds or 53 so, yeah. seconds or yeah. something. That was a fun video to make, but we inserted data in under two minutes and, and, and that was soup to nuts. I was creating, I had everything hooked up already, of course, as far as the network stuff, the PLC and the, the database server was actually on the laptop that I was using. But no connections to the IOTA, which is a, I'm sorry, the data commander, which is a separate device. I mean, it's not part, it's not running on the PC. It's not, it's like the PLC. It's a separate piece of hardware. And so in under two minutes, I actually established connection to the PLC. I established connection to the database server. I created a trigger based upon actually not just me clicking a button, but looking at a bit in the PLC program, I'm remembering now, that was like a cycle complete bit. So at the end of that cycle, we were pulling a bunch of data back, and I actually point and clicked that data in that video all within that minute 52. You know, we should we should pull that video back out. Can we promote that again? Yeah, we'll put it we'll put it with the link with this podcast too. It's our old workbench, so <laughs> um so don't be don't be fooled. But that that you're right. That was 2014. Yeah, that was four. That was six years ago. Six years ago. Imagine what we can do now. Ah, yes. Um. So anyway, that video. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That that really tells the tale. What what it amounts to though is getting back on track. Um, the thing that we hear the most, that I hear the most, as far as pitfalls and people calling, is. Usually we do the demonstration like the two minutes to data, yeah. except I take longer than two minutes. Um, they usually say, I wish I'd known about you guys a, you know, a year ago, two years ago, six months ago, whatever. And, and that's where many people are. And they've made major investments and the data is still, honestly, it's not quality data. What, Brandon, what do you mean by quality data? Uh, is there a difference of that is? <laughs> it is. By quality, I mean it's suspect. It could be skewed. Uh, for various reasons. Um, again, we talked about it's, it's the digitization. If you don't have a device like our data commander or something along those lines that can go out and get that information automatically and pull it from the machines, really the only other option that I'm familiar with is human entry. And so when you introduce the human element, you introduce the potential for skewed or unquality data. Uh, it could be because they're just making, most of the time it's just making mistakes. And, and honestly, I've heard stories about mainly from, again, the production managers and plant managers that it can uh, be from human 
dishonesty, I guess, or oh. skewing it to make them maybe make themselves look better or or something, covering up something. I don't know. I don't know how often that happens, but if you're listening out there, maybe it happens a lot. Maybe you're you're nodding, but uh, um, but yeah. So if that's not there, then it's suspect. So what what are are there some other reasons for some skewed data, or is, is it human entry uh, the most typical one? Well, I would I would say that's probably the number one thing. Um, where where humans are tracking the the downtime, tracking the the things that come into play with these KPIs. Uh, sometimes you may say, "How long was it down?" And they, and just remembering, yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't more than two or three minutes. And and the truth is, it was seven or eight minutes. You That's know, a huge kind of difference, isn't it? So how does Elatex, uh, how does Elatex MES products, how do they overcome this? Well, uh, again, I don't want to be salesy. This is our podcast. It's about learning and, and deciding what can benefit you and empower you, the, the user, the end user. Uh, but, but I've said it already. We communicate where others can't. I mean, we, we do it and we do it in a very easy way. Uh, we empower our employees with the point and click kind of concept. Uh, of course, we do the trainings and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, basically, what it comes down to is digitalization, the arts and crafts, the reporting tools, the reports, the quality of the reports, the quality of the dashboards and everything like that. There's an adage, garbage in, garbage out. And by by doing this in an automated fashion to harvest the data, you reduce. Now, if the if the data that you're getting is garbage... Then hey, we need you got to get on that level and fix that. But if it's quality data when it's in the PLC or in the machine, uh, then getting that out. We also have means of doing it with what we call EKG methods and things of that nature. But we're beyond time, so I want to I want to wrap that up. We'll save that for another topic one day. There's also a thing called store and forward that guarantees we don't lose data. If if we lose the connection to the server, we hang on to it for a bit. Again, we ought to talk about those types of things in a, in a future one. Um, do, you but, want, uh, do you want to touch on any other advantages real quick? Well, just that. I mean, and, and if you're in the maintenance department, we have <laughs> we have saved the maintenance department from quite a few false claims. Because like I said, on my example, how long was the machine down? Well, sometimes it really is two or three minutes. Maintenance guy gets out there, they're responsive, they get it done, they're up and running. But the associate wants to take a longer break or go talk to somebody or whatever. And so they'll write down 20 minutes. And so then management gets mad at the maintenance department for it's taking you all so long to fix these things. and You're not being responsive when the fact is they're they're Johnny on the spot. And most maintenance groups are. Uh, so that's an advantage. Um, so anyway. Um, well, so we're close to out of time. Can we go over? Uh, we. You mentioned some terms at the beginning, but if we have some time, can we go over them individually and summarize them? Yeah, that'd be a good way to wrap up. Okay. So, so we talked about the terms at the beginning. IoT Industry 4.0. Again, IoT is Internet of Things. Industry 4.0 is talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Basically, this is the digitization and digitalization steps and being able to use that digital or you know, digitalized data to make good decisions. That's what IoT is. If you're if you're just putting an IoT system in because it's what all the cool kids are doing, and and you're not really using it to make business decisions, you probably could do better spending your money on something else. 
But that's really what that is. And digitization is, was the other term. And I just said that digitization is getting the data from, and usually in an automated fashion, that's what we prefer, from the OT or the operational technology or the plant floor into uh, your ERP or data data repository, data storage area. MES is Manufacturing Execution System. It's an acronym. It's the leg on the ERP system for manufacturing. We talked about cloud and hosted servers. Cloud-based servers are on somebody else's equipment, which means the uptime is unbelievable. Uh, you don't have to have the resources to manage them, but there is a concern about security and volatility of the, the data and, and potentially hacking. Uh, and hosted servers means you own the server, you maintenance, you're responsible for it and everything about it, which seems more secure. But again, any IT person will tell you, could be, uh, if it's not secured correctly, it's not secure. And then lastly, data mining. And I didn't use that term, but data mining really comes down to the analytics. I did say analytics, I remember. Um, that means, that really is, to me, the digitalization. Mining all the data. There's a big move toward data mining right now that's got an issue, I think, because of the garbage in, garbage out. They're trying to do data mining techniques to try and separate the garbage from the not garbage. And my vantage point is what you need to do is sift the garbage before it gets in. And so if you can reduce the garbage coming in, you don't have to focus so much on the data mining. But data mining on on just a general basis is mining the data. It's it's going through and saying, okay, I want to put together the reports and all that kind of stuff to, to turn this into the thing that I need in order to make those decisions. That's basically, I think that's all of them. Yeah, it is. It is. We've, uh, man, we've gone over a lot today. And cybersecurity seems like it's a really big uh, issue, especially, you know, in the world that we're living in right now. And Do uh, you think we can go over that in our next podcast? Yeah, that. You know, we talked quickly about the food engineering interview. And so we want to do that in combination with their release of that article. We think that would be a good thing to do. That was your idea. Um, and also... Can we interview someone maybe? Yeah, maybe we'll have somebody if we okay. if we can if you know how to get somebody on the line. <laughs> I'm all for talking to them. I can talk. Um, anything you want to add? No, this has been really good. What my what I really take take it away from this is that people are making business decisions off of bad data because they were sold. A bill of goods of IoT when it wasn't really, it potentially, you know. Potentially. Uh, it's just. It, we hope not. I hope not. But it's the, it, the possibilities there and it's, um, it's just, yeah, it could affect people's livelihoods and their businesses. And it, it's uh, amazes me. Well, and, and so I'll say this and we'll wrap us up. So first of all, thank you for setting in, uh, on this, this podcast, um, I hope you got a lot out of it. But uh, if if you have those kind of questions, hit us with the comments or shoot us a message or an email. Uh, info at elatech.com is is a common email that we monitor. Um, and or you again the comments or or send us a message on Facebook or LinkedIn or something like that, um, and we can get involved. Or just give us a call eight six five four zero nine one five 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 is our direct uh, office number, main office number here in Knoxville, beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee just outside of this great Smoky Mountains. So um, the next podcast will be, I guess. It should be about cybersecurity. Yeah, assuming the article comes out when it's supposed to, because we want to make sure that we 
We they need to go together, peanut butter and jelly. Uh, but if not, we'll do another podcast. Uh, so thank you very much again for joining us. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Brandon, for your great questions and, and being involved. And um, guys, have a great um, day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.